0: So we are concluding a series we've been in for the past couple of weeks called Bend, Don't Break. And if you're just tuning in or you haven't you know, been with us the past couple of weeks or heard where we have been the past couple of weeks, I want to just kind of catch you up to where we're landing the plane today. And we've kind of been unpacking um, the overwhelming nature that is Life, um, The disorienting busyness, the disorienting nature of the busyness that is like the distractions that pull us in a number of different directions, vying for our attention, limiting our capacity to experience peace, joy, and love. That for so many of us, um, life often feels like a lot of surviving and not thriving. And so we've been having conversations around, hey, what does it look like to thrive and not just survive? What does it look like to be a person that can walk and experience peace, joy, and grow into a person of love? And and for you and for me, like no matter what you do or don't believe about faith, um, we would all enjoy a little bit more peace, a little bit more joy, and a little bit more Love And in the surviving, what that feels like is a lot of bending, 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 hoping we don't break. But what we've kind of laid out is us as humans, we were not created to constantly live in a bend, don't break state without any relief, without any chance to catch our breath. Because anything, almost anything that bends long enough will break, including you and including me. So what do we do with that? Where do we go and and you know this, right? You, you you lived life long enough to know this. That there are a lot of things um, in our control, and so as we're talking about, um, you know, rest and distractions vying for our attention. Um, there, there's a lot of things that we can do um, because what we've kind of laid out is our soul begins to be affected at a really deep level. That all of these things, the overwhelming nature of life, it starts to affect us at a deep level, and our souls grow tired. And there's a lot of things within our control um, that that we. That we can do, you know, what is our attention going to? How do we rest? But you've lived long enough to know this. There's a lot of life that is outside of your control. So what I want to spend a few minutes unpacking with you um, today is: What do we do when the bending? What do we do when the bending is a result of something outside of our control? Like, like what do we do when even the point of breaking is a result of something outside of our? Control. Like, what do we do when life just throws us something that wasn't a part of the plan that we were not hoping and it was not something that we were expecting? I have this picture in my head. You remember this Rocky IV uh, Drago walks into the ring and he looks at Rocky and he says, I must break you. You remember that? It's like life says that to me all the time <laughs> in my toddlers. Um, but <laughs> like, like, what do we do? What do we do? when, When when we're bending and bending and on the verge of breaking, or for some of you, like what do we do when we've broken and we're left trying to pick up the pieces and we're not sure how to put it all back together? The parts of life that we can't control, the difficulty of life that we would not choose, right? It's the it's the loss that we experience, it's the tragedy that we walk through, it's the pain that we feel, it's the trials that we have to navigate, the hurt that rocks us to our core. The layoff that we did not see coming, the diagnosis, the passing of a loved one, the rejection that cut deep. Come on, you parents, it's the parenting. There's, there's so much that you can do for your kid, but the longer you parent, the more you realize there's so much control that you don't have, and it's terrifying. And there's a weight to that. There's a weight to the difficult parts of life. There's a weight to the hard parts. There's a weight to the things that don't seem fair. There's a weight to the things that you never saw coming. There's a weight to the part of the things that happened that were not a part of the plan that you wish you could change in an instant that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, right? I mean, there's there's a weight to the brokenness that we walk through. There's a weight to the things that we can't control. And if you're being honest, right, regardless of what you do or don't believe about faith, because we're human, we've all been there, it can can quickly lead every single one of us in all the bending and even to the point of breaking where we just feel hopeless. Like we can't control it. We don't know how to fix it. And when you're here, what then? When you're here, how do you keep going then? How do you keep bending then? How do you walk resiliently then? How do you keep believing then? In fact, if you're being totally honest, there might be some of you in the room. And one of the reasons you walked away from faith, one of the reasons you stopped believing was because of the breaking. Because life will happen. Plans get blown up, dreams crushed, desired outcomes derailed, external things that, that we had anchored our lives to ran out, let us down, were not enough. And in that state of surviving, we're left vulnerable because we're never more reminded of our humanity and our own limitations. In that state of surviving, hopeless, we're insecure. And I don't mean like middle school insecure, does my outfit look good? I mean the insecure that's like, there's an unsettling feeling I have about my future and I don't like how it feels. It's when we're easily thrown. It's when our faith is easily shaken because we've anchored our lives, we've anchored our souls to something too small. And under the weight that is life, under the weight of the things we cannot control that will try our faith, under the weight of the things that lead us to bend, under the things that lead us, under the weight of the things that lead us to the point of breaking or breaking itself, We need a reason to keep going, a reason to keep believing, a reason to keep on walking. Me and my wife, we did something brand new this year for our relationship. We married seven years and we've ventured into the waters of taking a workout class together. And um, y'all, it's the death of me. (laughs) I love working out with Julie but it's so hard there's an instructor that tells me what to do and I don't feel the authority to say no you know what I mean and it's like so bad but it's so good and there's two reasons why I keep going one because I want to be healthy for my kids I want to be healthy for my family Um, but then the second reason you're never too old to show off to your wife right and so like when she's watching I do those burpees faster and so a reason to keep going when everything in you wants to stop. There was this experiment that was done back in the 1950s by a a professor at Johns Hopkins. His name was um, Kurt Richter. And he was experimenting with hope theory. And the way he laid out this experiment was he had two groups of, of, of rats. And what he did with the first group of rats is he would drop you know, one of the rats from that group in a bucket of water and he would time how long they would continue to swim before they just gave up. And in, in that controlled group of rats, they swam swim anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes and they just, they just gave up. But then with the second group, what he would do is he would put a rat in, in, in the water and have him swim. But then every two to three minutes, he would pick up the rat and give it just a few seconds of relief. And then he'd put the rat back in the water. And what they found with that second controlled droop, um, they never stopped swimming. Because of the hope of rescue, they had a reason to keep Swimming. And Professor Richter concluded this in the write-up of his study. This is so powerful. He said, after the elimination of hopelessness, the rats do not die. After the elimination of hopelessness, they had a reason to keep going. Or another way to say it, they had a hope to keep going. Here's what I know about you and me is that we have to have a reason to keep swimming, a reason to keep believing, a reason to keep going in light of the bending and even in the breaking. And I'm just here to tell you that reason has to be bigger than us. And it has to be bigger than anything this world can offer you or me. Here's the beautiful thing about the Christian faith. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus is that Jesus came to eliminate hopelessness. Jesus walked onto the scene in that first century New Testament context and he walked into the mess. He took on the mess and he came to eliminate hopelessness for you and for me. He came to give us something to anchor our souls to that would see us through. He came to give us something big enough and strong enough to anchor our souls through in the midst of whatever we face, this side of heaven. The gospel of John, um, we're gonna spend a few minutes in in John chapter 16 today, but in John um, 14, 15, and 16, um, the apostle John documents for us a really intimate moment that Jesus has with his disciples. And the scenes that take place in 14, 15, and 16, it's one long interaction and conversation, and it's just a little while before Jesus would go die on the cross for the sins of the world. And here Jesus is preparing the hearts of the disciples and he's letting them know, hey, in just a little while, like I'm going to leave. They don't fully understand what that means, right? He's talking about, he's going to the cross, but they're just like, hey, we'll go with you. Peter's like, look, I work remote now. I can go, I can go wherever. And he's telling them, hey, no, no, but it's better for me to go because when I leave, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. My Holy Spirit is going to live inside of you. He's going to be your advocate. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to remind you of the things that are true. And you're going to need that Holy Spirit. And so in that context, kind of the tail end of the conversation, John chapter 16, picking up in verse 33, Jesus says to his disciples, Hey, I've told you these things, all that I've told you about, where I'm going, why I'm going, and the Spirit that's coming, so that in me, relationally connected to me, you may have peace. And you're going to need it because then he makes him a promise. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Trouble is coming. In fact, to the disciples, I don't think they fully understood to what degree that would be the case. Every single one of them would die for their faith except one, John, and he'd be exiled near the end of his life to an island. Hey, you're gonna walk through some adversity. You're gonna walk through some persecution. You're gonna walk through some difficulty. In this world, you will have trouble. And for you and for me, it looks different, but it's trouble. It's a promise. It's a promise that in this world, you will have trouble, that we will have good days, but we're gonna have some bad days. And the burdens of the bad days are gonna feel heavier than all of the good days. There are gonna be seasons when we aren't okay. We're gonna walk through some difficulty. There's gonna be things that cause us to worry, things that cause us to fear, things in the future, in the unknown that we cannot control. In this world, you will have trouble. And Jesus, Jesus in his kindness, what he's doing to his disciples and for you and for me, he's preparing their hearts and he's preparing our hearts for what is true. Because isn't this so true? There's something something comforting about being prepared, even if you're being prepared for the worst. He wasn't giving them a false sense of anything. He's telling them and he's telling you that in life you're going to experience trouble. He's preparing them for what's true. And there's a comfort to that. There's a kindness in that. This is what I go through every time I prepare my kids to go to the doctor. Every time. I'm trying to give them a heads up. I don't want you to be caught off guard. I'm not gonna put you in the car and tell you that we're going to Chick-fil-A and then we show up at the doctor's office. Be so cruel and not kind. So we get out the tears and they tell me what they're afraid of and there's still tears and they're afraid there, but I'm trying to prepare them for what's true. Went through the same thing when I took my wife to Israel to meet my family for the first time. They're awesome, but they're crazy. (laughs) You see my big fat Greek wedding? Same thing. It's culturally accurate. But Jesus wanted them to know, and he wants us to know, following him does not eliminate the trouble. Following him does not eliminate the difficulty. In fact, for some of you, the reason why you left faith is because of the trouble. And you prescribed to a type of faith, to a kind of faith that said, once I believe and once I follow, everything's gonna be okay. Then when it wasn't, you started to wonder if God is who he said he was. So you walked away. But Jesus himself, on whom our faith is built on, never preached that faith. In fact, no, he promised us, you will have trouble. And then he looks at his disciples, tells you and he tells me, he says, but take heart don't give up. Do not despair. Literally it reads, but be of great courage. Courage meaning that even in the face of the difficulty, take a step. Even in the face of fear, take a step. Even in the face of adversity, do not give up. Do not quit swimming that in the bending, in the face of whatever is threatening to break you, in the face of whatever wants to limit your capacity for peace and joy, Jesus says, take heart. In what strength? He goes on to say, one of the most powerful lines in all of the New Testament. He looks at his disciples. He says, but take heart. Don't despair. I have overcome World. And this statement right here is the foundation upon which the Christian faith is built on. This statement right here is where your faith and my faith finds its strength. He says, I have overcome the world. And this word overcome, it comes from a Greek word. It's nenikeka. That's the Greek word. And you'll notice the root, the root verb is where we get Nike from. Okay? Yeah. I'm serious. You didn't know this. Teaching about the Bible. Nike means victory. Okay, that's where they got the name, right? Um, And so it really does mean victory. And this is why I love Nike so much. Um, Jesus would have worn Nike for sure back then. (laughs) It's biblical. Kidding. There's a lot of holes in that statement. Okay, so... But but, but the, the, the root of this, Nike, it means victory. It means a victory in a moment of time. But this particular construction of the word nenikeka, it doesn't mean a, a, a victory in a moment of time. Jesus specifically uses a construction of this verb that means continuous victory, always victorious, forever in final, complete victory. Jesus was telling his disciples, in this world, you're gonna face trouble, but I need you to tell you something, um, I always win. Jesus was giving his disciples a reason to keep going in the face of trouble. He was giving them a reason to believe in the face of hopelessness. He was giving them something to anchor their souls to no matter what they faced this side of heaven. And in this moment, Jesus eliminated hopelessness. And he claimed something is true before he did it. Why? Because when you're perfectly faithful, you can do that. Because just a little while later, Jesus would go to the cross. He would die for the sins of the world. And then he would be placed in a tomb. And all of his followers thought it was over. But then on the third day, he rose On the third day, he stared death in the face and he said, Nenikeka, I always win. The resurrection changed everything. And the resurrection changes everything. Because in that moment, the worst thing that could happen to a human this side of heaven, as one of my seminary professors put it, is death, the separation of the soul from the body. And Jesus stared at death, conquered death, once and for all, for all. Jesus took the breaking so that we wouldn't have to. He defeated the power of sin, which is why there's any bending and breaking in this world as it is. Is that in this world you will have trouble, and there are gonna be seasons that are hard, and there's gonna be the moments where the struggle is real, moments when the darkness feels like it's closing in, where you are more overcome than you feel like you are winning. And in that, the hope of the resurrection is light in the darkness. Because the hope of the resurrection tells you and it tells me, it anchors our soul to the reality that anything this side of heaven does not have the final say. The hope of the resurrection is that one day all things will be redeemed. In the hope of the resurrection, don't miss this. The hope of the resurrection of Jesus, it doesn't make our circumstances better but it makes your life and my life better. Why? Because in the midst of whatever I'm facing, the hope of the resurrection means I can walk with peace. I can walk with joy. And I can still believe that God is a God of love. That's why the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter six, verse 19, he writes this, we have this hope the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor. Now, I'm not a boatsman. I'm not good at outdoorsy stuff. And I'm I'm really motion sticks. I can't even get on boats, really. It gets me. i went deep sea fishing once and it was more like shallow sea fishing. And I was sick the whole time. It was awful. I hated it. But here's what I know. You get on a boat and you drop anchor and you can still feel the waves and you can still feel the rocking and the going, but there is an anchor that's got you firm and secure. That the hope of the resurrection doesn't fix our circumstances. There's still gonna be pain. There's still gonna be difficulty. There's still gonna be things that we have to walk through. And if you're being totally transparent, there's gonna be things that you walk through, the bending and even some of the breaking that's gonna lead you to question things about God. But the hope of resurrection is an anchor for your, your soul and for mine. It is an anchor big enough and strong enough that reminds us in our moment of vulnerability, there is something beyond us holding us. In our moment of insecurity, there is a savior that has secured our future. And in the swaying, in the rocking, in the difficulty of life, we can have confidence that it isn't the end because Jesus didn't stay And this anchor, ultimately, this is what it allows us to. This is so important. It allows us to reframe what we can't control. And this is hard, especially when you're walking through it, especially in the bending, especially in the breaking or even after. But it doesn't mean it's not true. The anchor of our soul, the hope of the resurrection allows us to reframe what we can't control. That no matter what we're facing, we know it's not the end. That no matter what we're facing, the resurrection reminds you and it reminds me that even in the darkest moments, God is still working. The hope of the resurrection allows us to reframe whatever we're walking through, knowing that God's love isn't defined by our circumstances that happen to us, but it's defined by what he's done for us that we can reframe whatever we're walking through in light of eternity so that we can experience grief and pain and frustration, but still have peace, a deep-seated trust that Jesus really is who he said that he is. And if anybody understood this, it was Peter. Peter was one of Jesus's disciples, He was very strong, bold leader, got it right sometimes, big mouth, got it wrong a lot of the times. But Peter was one of the disciples when Jesus was arrested and when he stood trial. And let me just tell you, when all that was happening and when Jesus was placed in the tomb, Peter wasn't standing outside the tomb just counting to three. Peter, like all the other disciples, thought it was over. I mean, he thought he was done. He thought he had bet on the wrong guy. He gave up his life to follow who he thought was the Messiah, but the Messiah doesn't die. Like it was over. You remember the story? He denied him three times in the midst of the trial and in the crucifixion. He was terrified. Like it wasn't bending for Peter. It was broken. It was hopeless. It was over. Man. one day, you remember this, John chapter 21, you should go read this. Peter's out in the boat with some of his disciples and he sees the sky on the shore and it looks like, but it can't be. Oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And they start paddling back to shore. Peter, they're paddling too slow. And just like Peter would, he jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore faster because his teacher, his rabbi, now he fully understands his savior didn't stay dead. And there was a brand new perspective of hope that Peter walked with. And there was a brand new faith that Peter took on the trouble that the world threw at him with as he spread the message of the gospel for the rest of his life. And it was that Peter who more than likely dictated and somebody else wrote down this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. With minds alert and fully sober, isn't this so true that oftentimes in the difficulty and in the pain, in the bending, and especially in the breaking, um, it can be cloudy what is true. It can be cloudy who Jesus is. And so what Peter's saying, hey, listen, I want you to, to, to be fully aware with a mind alert and fully sober, no matter what you're walking through, being fully aware of who Jesus is and what he offers and what he did. With minds alert and fully sober, set your hope on the fact that Jesus promised to come back. That one day Jesus will return to redeem all things and all of it built on the reality that he rose from the grave. Set your inner focus. Set your attention. Set your faith. Set your security. Set your hope on the only thing big enough to see you through. On the only thing big enough to see me through. And it's not a thing It's not a job. It's not a position. It's not a a, a salary. It's not your plans. It's not my plans. It's not our dreams. The only thing big enough is the resurrection of a Savior that promises to see you through. So bend, don't break. How do you keep bending? How do you keep going even in the breaking? You have to answer this question. What is your hope? set on. How you answer this question determines how good you are at bending. How you answer this question determines how you respond in the breaking. What is your hope set on? And if we're just being honest, when life is good, when life is up and to the right, it feels like our hope is set on Jesus, but it isn't until the difficulty, it isn't until the breaking, it isn't until things don't go the way that we wanted it to that we really start to figure out what it is built upon. And for so many of us, including myself, you've probably found yourself building it on something that cannot carry it, building it on something too small. And you're left in the bending, you're left in the breaking, unsure of what to do next. But with the perspective of the resurrection, it changes everything for you, for me. And because of it, we can claim these truths today with full authority that you are never alone. You are deeply loved. Watch this. And Jesus always wins. That one day, all will be redeemed. That your circumstances don't define God's love for you. No, no, no. He proved his love for you. When he sent Jesus to save you and to give you hope no matter what you face, that he's always with us. And because of Jesus, our future is secure. And it doesn't make our circumstances better, but it makes your life better. Because sometimes better means this, that the world that we're in is broken, but my Savior knew it. My Savior called it. My Savior stepped into it and he prepared me in advance for it. And I'm better because I have a Savior that died and rose again and he's going to see me through it. You are never alone. You are deeply loved and Jesus always wins. So my friends, what is your hope set on? And I'll just speak for myself. We're gonna navigate the, the, the trouble and the difficulty of life, no matter what you do or don't believe about faith. I can't imagine doing it without the hope of Jesus because I don't know where to look. It's too much for me to bear. It's too much for me to do. It's too much. It's too heavy. It's too scary. I need the hope of Jesus to be true. And his resurrection offers you something that nothing else can, an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And there might be some of you, um, you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Like maybe if you're just being honest, you've had your hope set on a bunch of different things and it keeps on falling apart. That you've lived through the bending and you've sat in the breaking and you aren't sure what's what. I wanna give you an opportunity today For the first time, to set your hope on the Savior that died for you, to show that he loved you and to give you hope and an anchor for your soul that nothing else can. He died for your sin. He did for you and for me what we could never do for ourselves because he loved you. And he offers you relationship to walk with you so you don't have to do it alone. So in just a moment, I'm gonna gonna pray for us. But if that's you, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've never set your hope on the resurrection of our risen Lord and Savior, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. And I'm gonna pray a little prayer. We're all gonna bow our heads and close our eyes. You don't have to say the prayer out loud. The prayer isn't magic. The prayer doesn't save you. It just helps you verbalize what God is doing in your heart all day. On his own. So I'm gonna pray for us. So I'm gonna go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're in the room and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, in the risen Savior that is the foundation of our faith, I just, I'm gonna give you an opportunity just to repeat this prayer after me. You don't have to say it out loud, you should say it yourself. Heavenly Father, I confess that I am a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I want to place my faith and hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins and the security of my future. I want to follow him as best as I can. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you see us We're grateful that you came down to us when you sent Jesus. We're so grateful that we're never alone. We're so grateful that we are dearly loved. And we are oh so grateful that Jesus always wins. Would you set that truth into the innermost parts of our being? And would you give us the courage to believe it, to hold on to it, no matter what we face, no matter what's bending no matter what's breaking? Would you give us clear eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done? And would you give us the courage to ask honestly what our hope is set on and then the courage to do something about it? Heavenly Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.